How Great Thou Art versus Great Are You Lord and Worship Music Zone. Theology of Music podcast, the only podcast where we unpack the good and sometimes bad theology in the songs that we sing. My name is Pastor Joel. Welcome again to the Theology of Music podcast. My name is Pastor Joel. Today I am writing solo, as the great theologian Jason Derulo would say. And today I'm going to be comparing two songs once again, like I did with Cliff Lambert when we compared There is a Fountain and Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb. In that instance, those songs really focused on what the blood of Christ does, whereas in this episode, we're really talking about two songs that are, are, are pretty general because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the, the greatness of God, how why God is great. Uh, and that's not to say that there's not a lot to talk about with the blood, but that's a very specific uh, element in our faith, whereas God's greatness is so vast. Uh, and so songs that are talking about that can be a little bit more difficult to compare, but I still wanted to compare a, a hymn with a modern-day song uh, that kind of talks about the equivalent. And so first off, I'm going to talk about the song, Great Are You, Lord, lit, written by All Sons and Daughters, specifically by David Leonard, Leslie Jordan of All Sons and Daughters, and then Jason Ingram came in and helped. It was released in 2013 on their live album, and it was actually nominated for the Dove Award for Worship Song of the Year. Now, this song blew up. Uh, and you know when a worship song blows up when everyone's doing covers and when other big churches do it and you think that the song is done by them. That's when you really know a song blows up, when you when your favorite artist does it and you think it's by them. And so this song blew up, but it didn't really blow up until a year or so after it came out. That's when churches were really starting to do a lot of it. I really do love the simplicity of the song, how easy it is to sing. And so the verses are pretty simple. It says things like, you give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. And the chorus is just, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. The bridge is also simple. It says, and all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Uh, and one of the things I've really enjoyed about the song is there is a lot of really cool things you can unpack in the song. All Sons and Daughters talked about how it really was able to be fleshed out when Jason Ingram became involved. And he helped him kind of center the song around the chorus in the It's Your Breath in Our Longs, So We Pour Out Our Praise. And it really blew up when they did it at Passion, and then it became uh, a song that everyone was singing after that. But the scripture that they typically used for it was Jude 1.5 and Ezekiel 37, 4-10. And Jude 1.5 talks about uh, that, that he breathed life, that the Lord breathed life into to the earth and lungs of, of, the, of the ancestors in Egypt, Israel, right? He, and he brought them back to life for, from those who didn't believe. That's, that's Jude. It's all talking about how, you know, God has been the creator of life. He breathes life into our lungs, and he creates uh, He creates and regenerates life. You, you think about even just in, in Genesis, right, that when God breathed, he breathed life physically into him. And so it's not wrong. I mean, this is incredibly true to say that it is God's breath in our lungs. I, and it's really cool because it, it creates this nice thread from 
from the beginning of our own race to today. Every single person, whether they are in Christ or not, are, are actually breathing God's breath in their lungs. So I really enjoy that part. I really enjoy just how pointed that is. And then when you think about Ezekiel 37, 4 through 10, that's that whole the dry bones becoming uh, as flesh and God breathes life. He's going to put skin on them and breath in them. They'll shall, they shall live. And that's that bridge kind of talking about and all the earth will, will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing, great are you, Lord. I, I honestly always go to Philippians 2 when, I, when I'm thinking about this song, especially that part. I'll even kind of exhort the church with Philippians 2 saying, man, Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to be that. I want to be one of those crying out praise to God. I don't, I don't want to need uh, someone to tell me that, hey, God's great. You should be praising him. I just want to know and I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those tongues confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord day in and day out. And that's that's why I really do enjoy this song. And, and the the verse kind of is where you get the why God's great, right? So you, you the chorus is kind of your anthemic. Oh yeah, this is this is our rallying point, which by the way, this song is in 6-8, just saying that. And you give life, you are a love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that's broken. So you give life, right? You've We've read a couple of verses that talk about that. You are love, right? Scripture is very clear. God is love, not that he is uh, choosing to love at one point and love at not love at another point. He is literally the embodiment of love, and his love was displayed on the cross through Christ. You bring light to the darkness. Christ talks about that too. You, the, what is in the dark cannot live. Light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot hide from it, right? That's uh, that is scripture there too. And so you give hope, right? Uh, I think about Christmas when I think about you give hope. I think about uh, in, in Micah in the Old Testament that prophesied Christ's coming. And in Christ's coming, it was hopeful. It was not It was not Christ coming to to judge and be this, this judge, jury, and executioner and come down. And it was a hopeful time. And that's why Christmas, I love Christmas because Christmas just gives me hope. And it gives me joy and it gives me peace. Like it should, it should give that to all of us. And you restore every heart that is broken. God is going to be near to us, right? Even if you're just thinking about how God gives gives light in life, or that's 2 Corinthians 4, 6, like that that light is coming to you, right? It's it's he's shown in our hearts. He's he's commanded light to shine out the darkness, who's and it's shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 6. But I even think about 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, where it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time he will exalt you, casting all your cares or anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or just simply draw near to God, and as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. That's that's all throughout Scripture, this, this, this reciprocal relationship between God and his creation and his chosen people. And his chosen people are those chosen in Christ. He draws near to us when we draw near to him. And when he draws near to us, he restores, he rebalances. And and there's so much healing that happens when we draw near to the Lord, because that's where it can only happen. So I really do love, I think this song does a good job at meeting what I would call the felt need. 
the very breath that I'm breathing is the Lord's, and I want to just give it back to him because he's just been so good and so kind to me. Now let's turn to How Great Thou Art. Now the, the cool thing about How Great Thou Art is uh, no one probably knows the story. <laughs> I, if you actually know the story behind this song, I might pay you. I don't know because I'm nervous. But this came from, okay, the, the whole thread of this song actually coming into existence is insane, it, the, the, how it actually happened, right? It started with a 19th century Swiss poem, okay, which then was taken by Ukrainian missionaries and then was uh, found by a singing cowboy and then Billy Graham got a hold of it because of that, right? So in 1885, I'm not even going to say this guy's name, but he was a Swedish editor and politician, and he was walking home, and he saw this huge thunderstorm, this thundercloud appeared, and and lightning flashed, and he was so scared, so he he ran for shelter, and then uh, he rushed home, and uh, when he gets home, he opens his windows, and all the it's all gone. The storm's gone, and there's this beautiful, fresh bay air coming in, and this tranquil scene uh, arises, and and he's just kind of greeted with the sound of church bells and, and birds chirping, and he's just thinking, wow, that's so crazy that you just, you get this raging storm, and then such a beautiful, calm background. And this poem eventually became How Great the Art after being published in a local newspaper. And then a couple of people then took it and added it to a tune of, uh, one person added it to a tune of a Swedish folk song. And then and then in the first decade of the 20th century, it was translated into German and then Russian. And then the first English version would appeared in 1925. And then it started to kind of move around. And then some British missionaries took it, some Ukrainian missionaries took it. And then eventually it made its way to a British American theologian traveling to India, who was also a singing cowboy, and a popular American evangelist on a self-described crusade. His name was J. Edwin Orr. And he traveled to India and he found it, right? And then so while there, he heard that English version of that song and he was so impressed by it, he brought it back to America, and he had it. He started to perform it. And in one of those performances, Tim Spencer, who was also a singing cowboy and actor, apparently those just were things that you would do, uh, he found it. And he owned a, a publishing company for Christian music. And then he, he arranged to buy the rights, and he did. And then right, right around like 1950-something, uh, it really was still unknown, but... It got into the hands of George Beverly Shea, who is one of Billy Graham's soloists, who was one of Billy Graham's soloists in his crusades. And Graham loved it so much that he made it basically the the signature song. And that's where we get it from. So here's the cool thing. You you only know the hymn from that time, about 1950s or so. Technically, it's it's over that. It's over 100 years old. The funny thing about so many of these hymns is they're really not that old. Everyone likes to think hymns are so old, but they're really, most of them are within the last 100 years, really, give or take. Uh, and some have origins from before then, but most of them are in the last 100 years. And I just think it's so funny that we often go, like, hymns are just so old, and they're really not. They're really not that old. And at one point, hymns were contemporary for people. So let's let's not get it twisted. So comparing these two songs, well, let's look at the lyrics. So the lyrics of How Great Thou Art, you, many of you may know it. Oh, Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed, right? If you know the story, like I just said, you get where that came from, right? He's, he's seen creation. 
And so because of that, he goes to the chorus. Well, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. That's a little bit repetitive, don't you think, Joel? That's repetitive. I thought we weren't supposed to sing repetitive songs. You see how you sound when you get upset about repetition in songs sometimes, and then you, and then we prop up hymns. I'm just saying, let's be careful about propping up uh, hymns as these old, so amazing things that they're contemporary at the time, too. So... This hymn, I'm not knocking this hymn, I'm just making a point. And then the next verse, And when I think of, of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. What does that cause me to do? Well, then sings my soul, right? You go into the chorus again. And the last verse, When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and lead me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then shall I bow with humble adoration, and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. And what does that make me want to do? Makes me want to sing, and then sings my soul. So what's really interesting about this song, and what's really good about this song, I will say, How Great Thou Art is probably one of the most holistic and just well, all-around written songs in Christendom. Here's why. The chorus is the culmination of the verses. It is something you just feel naturally inclined to sing. That's what a chorus should be. Your chorus should naturally just follow from the verses. And that's what this does, right? I can immediately think, oh, the power throughout the universe is played. So what do I want to sing? Well, then sings my soul. Man, how great is God? And and how great thou art does a really good job talking about the greatness of God in a lot more detail than great are you, Lord. Now, they're different. In, in, inherently, they're different. But... How, how great thou art gives me more to then know, to use to then think, man, how great is God? It's not that great are you, Lord, doesn't do that. But when I sing, you give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. That doesn't, always, that doesn't immediately make me think it's your breath in our lungs. Now, that's not a knock to the song, but I don't immediately want to sing, well, it's your breath in our lungs, we part our praise, we part our praise. It's, it's, it, it might even just, you might even want to switch it, but that's, that's not a knock on the song. It's just the chorus doesn't really feel that, the, at least the first line, naturally, that's where I want to go. Now, I do, like I said, I love the bridge because it is just, it is this, how they have, have, they have uh, written it with the chord structure too. It really does feel like, oh yeah, I want to keep singing it. And so from the bridge to the, the chorus, when you do it again, that does feel natural, right? Man, great are you, Lord, and it's your breath in our lungs, right? Uh, and so it's just it's interesting because how great thou art really does a great job at saying, first verse is just kind of about God and creation. Man, I look around and I see God, I see him everywhere, I see him in all these, all the blessings that I have. I see him in all the good in this world, right? I hear him in the in the rolling thunder, and that makes me want to sing. Or then, wow, I think about God not even sparing his son on the cross. He sent him to die. That's what Christmas is about. He was born to die in our place. And I love that he says, I can't even, I can't even take it in. I can't even, I can't even fathom that God would send his son to die. That on the cross, he would gladly bear my burden. That's truth. I mean, scripture is very clear. Christ did not scorn the cross. That, that's that's Philippians 2, right? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, That he, but he made himself nothing. And he took on the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of, of humans or of men, he humbled himself. The point of death on the cross. 
then he didn't it didn't say that God that Jesus didn't want to do it and he was so he was really like I just got to God don't make me do this I don't want to do this I don't want to do this I don't I don't want to bear their their burden he did it willingly and gladly I love that and he bled and died to take away my sin so clear that's clear gospel language then the last verse when Christ will come with shout of acclamation and then lead me home what joy shall fill my heart then shall I bow with humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. You know, it's really funny. When I think about the scripture and how great thou art, this is when you know a song's really good as far as it's, it's, uh, it's tied to scripture. When you could find an incredible amount of scripture references. I mean, Christ coming to die, that's, oh, I, I'm, I'm literally looking at my notes. That's too many to even say it for this not to be super long or or Christ coming back referring to Christ's second coming there's plenty of scripture references for that I'll, I'll probably even put them in the in the uh, the the show notes but even just us us being in humble adoration when Christ comes back and he brings us home it, there's so much I mean this song, What's really funny too, if you look at the Berean test, which I've referenced before, this this Berean test basically just gives the song a, a ten out of ten. <laughs> song because it's just it's it is probably one of the best Christian songs, worship songs ever written ever. There is so much that just to think about Christ in this song to think about, and then and because that it does make you just want to sing how great you are, God. And if you wanted to, if you feel as if how great thou art, the language is just a little too antiquated for you, you can update it. I'm, I think if you frame it in the sense of, hey, we're still doing this song, we're keeping the melody the same, we're keeping the traditional melody the same, we're just updating some of the lingo, right? So instead of, instead of saying, then sings my soul, my Savior God to, to thee, you could say, my Savior God to you, how great you are, how great you are. Then sings my soul, my Savior God. You could even say to thee, but how great you are, how great you are. I don't think that's bad. I think if you wanted to, you could always pair, I don't think it would hurt, but you could bring the bridge of the great are you Lord into this song. I think that'd be really cool if you did that. If you brought the bridge in, then and all the earth will shout this praise, right? You're going to shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing, great are you Lord. I think it's a really cool thing to do. Now, one of them is in 6-8, and the other one is uh, traditionally in 4-4. So you don't, uh, you can't really do that, but you can. Um, but you could, I definitely think you could make it work. But I really think your church would be blessed if you've never done How Great Thou Art, and if you need to update it, do it. That's fine. But do How Great Thou Art, because it really is one of those songs that will that will stand the test of time, that will always be a great option to sing. And it's mainly just because of how well it was done. And I love what God did with that song. It It didn't just get written by a group and then explode, right? That's not a knock to Great Are You Lord. It's, I'm, I love that Great Are You Lord's a song that we sing and that a lot of churches are singing because it is a great song. But it doesn't unpack the stuff like, doesn't unpack the things that How Great Thou Art unpacks. So if we're, if we're grading it, is it gospel-centered? No, I really don't think Great Are You Lord is gospel-centered. It, it says, it references things that are evident in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ does, did on the cross, but it's not explicit. And that's... Like I said, it's not bad if that doesn't do that. Is it Christ exalting? It really doesn't mention Christ, which 
you know, you don't have to, but it would be good if you did. And is it congregationally friendly? Yeah, this song is super easy to sing. Um, and then when you look at Great Are You, uh, How Great Thou Art, is it gospel centered? Yeah, it very much is. Is it con- congregationally friendly? Yeah, that chorus. Uh, point me to someone who doesn't know that chorus if you just start singing it, right? And then is it Christ exalting? It is very Christ exalting. Now, that doesn't mean just because it hits all three and Greater Your Lord only hits one, does it, that makes it the better song. I think it's just more that it unpacks some truths more effectively. But I think you can pair them together, really. I really do think you can. So this is a long podcast. I apologize. Uh, but I really wanted to give a fair shake to both of the songs. And I really did enjoy going through these songs and the stories behind them and and how um, how even just how Great Are You, Lord, even came about with with them hearing a, a sermon on on it on and in that sermon they re, the the pastor referenced God is is going to restore his people and he restores his people and it's just really cool how the Lord works in 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 songwriters hearts and their minds in different ways to create these beautiful songs I, I think both of them are great songs and uh, I, I I think I would like I said I would choose how great thou art um, over it if I was choosing unpacking the greatness of God, but I think they're both, they both serve great purposes. So as always, if you guys have any questions or, or comments or feedback, just send it to theologyandmusic at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast, even though Bob Coughlin was not on it, and I hope you guys have a wonderful day.